Good morning. I'm Debbie Cruz. It's Friday, February 10th. A look at how the state is addressing homelessness. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. Be careful driving today because it's expected to be windy with gusts up to 50 miles per hour in certain areas of the county. A wind advisory is in effect until 6 this evening in parts of the county, including El Cajon, Escondido, La Mesa, Poway, San Marcos, and Santee. Forecasters warn that trees could be blown down and there could be some power outages in those areas. The National Weather Service recommends using caution when driving and securing outdoor objects. The California Coastal Commission yesterday issued a permit for a plan to convert Navy Pier into a public park along San Diego Bay's North Embarcadero. It's being called Freedom Park because of San Diego's military history. The Port of San Diego and USS Midway Museum are leading the project. The new park will be designed to connect with the park areas surrounding the Midway. It will include pedestrian pathways around and through the park, play structures, memorials and monuments, coastal access, restrooms, parking, and more. It's expected to open in 2028. NFL history will be made this Super Bowl Sunday. It's the first time that both teams have had starting quarterbacks who are black. But there was also Super Bowl history made right here in San Diego 35 years ago when Douglas Williams led his Washington team to victory, the first black quarterback ever to start and win the big game. If you want to get out this Sunday and watch the Super Bowl with others, there are plenty of watch parties around town. For a list of Super Bowl watch parties in the county, go to kpbs.org. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hello, podcast listener. Full disclosure, I'm going to make some assumptions about you. This probably isn't the only podcast you enjoy. Blink if I'm right. <laughs> It's probably not the only thing you watch or listen to on KPBS either. If I'm right about that, then I'm guessing you make it a point to check in on a regular basis to see what's new, take in the latest and greatest, and then you go back to your daily life until we happily come together again. We're sort of like a virtual buffet. When you're hungry for information and entertainment, you go to KPBS and want to eat, uh, consume all you can, right? Well, you should know that when you become a member of KPBS, you're keeping the entire TV, radio, and online trays full of fresh ideas, like the tasty podcast you're enjoying right now. Help feed your appetite for KPBS. Become a member today. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. Thank you. Homelessness has been a stubborn problem across the state for years. And while the state and city governments continue to introduce programs, housing, and funds to get a handle on the crisis, it persists. Angela Hart is a senior correspondent with Kaiser Health News. This week, she published an in-depth look at what the state is spending on the problem and if it's made a difference. She spoke about her reporting with my colleague Jade Heidman. Here's that interview. You started the piece with a dollar amount right at the top that represents the investment the state has made to combat this issue. Can you tell us about that investment? Absolutely. Um, $18.4 billion uh, California has invested in directly into addressing the homelessness crisis that's playing out across California. 
this really is unprecedented. The state of California has never ever put as much into solving this crisis before since Governor Gavin Newsom took office in 2019. There's been a steady flow of both state and federal funding uh, going to cities and counties and programs like housing to ad address the crisis. And uh, there's even more on the way. The governor is proposing additional investments this year that would bring the overall investment around $21 billion. Wow. Has that investment panned out? That's really what I sought to explore in my piece. And the answer, if you look at the freeway overpasses, if you go to any city, even rural towns across the state, the answer is no. Can you talk about the governor's policy on encampment sweeps, which uh, I believe he shares the same school of thought as uh, our own mayor here in San Diego? Absolutely. The governor has been really aggressive at going after these encampments that are um, you know, populating freeways, sidewalks across California, rural towns. Um, it's really become a humanitarian crisis and and it's a political, you know, a, a tightrope for Governor Newsom as well. The public is angry. People are frustrated. And it's not just, you know, homeowners and renters. It's homeless people themselves who, you know, are fed up. On one hand, homeowners and renters, people who are in housing are grappling with the crisis. They don't want to a, see homeless people, but they don't want homeless people to be in the situation they're in. And for homeless people themselves, they hear promises of more housing coming and more money coming for behavioral health care. But when you scratch me at the surface a little bit, it, it's really hard to find that investment. Is the governor considering a different approach going forward that you know of? Yeah, I would say that if you look at where all of this money is going into healthcare, into housing, into services, into moving and clearing encampments, I think we're going to see more money going into those initiatives this year, but I'm really watching for accountability. State lawmakers want to know where is that money going? Why aren't we seeing a difference on the streets? The public wants to see their taxpayer money working for them. And so what we've heard from Governor Newsom and mayors and county supervisors across California is more accountability, more accountability of where it's being spent and whether it's working. And is that a smart investment? You know, you talked to lots of people for this story. You explored a, a lot here. Did you come away with a, a different perspective on homelessness, um, its causes and, and the possible solutions than when you started this story? That's a great question. Um, I really struggle with this question about, you know, how California is, is addressing putting all of this money into trying to solve this, yet the cycle, that chicken and egg of is the homelessness crisis creating a bigger problem in terms of mental health and public health, or is it the other way around? And I think maybe what surprised me is it's it's both. And in, in, if you really want to tackle this crisis, you have to really get out there and talk to people on the streets, talk to people who are homeless and find out what do you need? What will bring you into housing? What will compel you to accept services? And so trust is extraordinarily important. Trust really underpins this entire experiment that California is working on and really trying to solve this crisis with an enormous amount of money. That was Kaiser Health News reporter Angela Hart speaking with Midday Edition host Jade Heidman. You can find the full story on our website, kpbs.org.
UCSD is hiring 200 community health workers as part of a new initiative from the White House. The program is focusing on San Diego's Middle Eastern, East African, Native American, and refugee communities. Y.L. L. Delamey is a professor of public health at UCSD. He says those communities haven't been given the same access to preventative health care as others, and this program aims to fix that. Help kind of bridge the gap between what the community needs and what health care providers can provide. The community health worker can be embedded in the community or in healthcare settings. So they can be on either side, but the aim is the health uh, of these communities. Recruitment starts soon with classes beginning in summer. They're looking for people who know the cultures and are multilingual. No medical background is needed, just a commitment to help the community. The county's nearly $115 million citrus industry got a jolt this week when officials discovered a tree infected with a citrus greening disease. Environment reporter Eric Anderson says county officials have now discovered the illness in Oceanside and Rancho Bernardo. The disease, known as Huang Long Bing, was discovered in Rancho Bernardo in a residential lime tree, prompting officials to set up an immediate quarantine zone. Crews are already surveying the area for more infections, California Department of Food and Agriculture's Alex Muniz says if the infected trees are found, they will be cut down and destroyed. There is no cure. Uh, it must be treated and removed, and that's really the only way to eradicate the disease from the tree. The illness is spread by a small bug known as an Asian citrus psyllid. It feeds on citrus and can carry the illness to uninfected trees nearby. An infected tree will have yellow leaves and shoots along with misshapen and bitter fruit. Muniz says the disease will eventually kill the plant. We're specifically looking only for citrus. If we see citrus and it looks symptomatic, we'll take samples. The insect that carries the illness has been in San Diego County for more than a decade, and the disease was first discovered in Oceanside about two years ago. Farmers have been on alert because the disease already decimated Florida's citrus groves. UC Cooperative Extension's Eric Middleton says local farmers don't want that to happen here. When those insect numbers are high, they're doing area-wide sprays. They're coordinating so that everyone is applying insecticides at the same time. Agricultural officials have not had much success containing the disease. Most of the Los Angeles basin is still under quarantine just a decade after the disease first appeared there. Scientists are working on treatment, cures, and disease-resistant trees, but their efforts have not yet borne fruit. Eric Anderson, KPBS News. Coming up, a local chef gives us some recipes for a Valentine's Day dinner at home. We'll have that and more just after the break. Long ago, when the public square was the only place to share news, events, and happenings, people were drawn to it. Living in community with others was the route to understanding each other and the world around us. The public square has changed dramatically, but our need to learn and understand one another has it. This is Port of Entry, 
the Parker Edison Project. Listener-supported KPBS Cinema Junkie. Thank you for listening to KPBS Podcast and for being part of our region's virtual public square, where you learn not only about the headlines of the day, but about culture, music, and the issues that are important to all of us. Help keep the virtual square alive and well. Support podcasts like the one you're listening to right now. Just go to kpbs.org, click the blue Give Now button, and make a donation. And thanks again. San Diego Opera presents four performances of the Puccini Duo starting tomorrow. KPBS arts reporter Beth Hakamondo reveals what makes this production unique. The Puccini Duo, as the title implies, is not one opera, but rather two short ones, says mezzo-soprano Stephanie Blythe. The first opera is called Suor Angelica. The second is Gianni Schigi. The first is a drama, a tragedy, and the second is is a comedy. Blythe sings in both operas, but in the second one, she marks an opera first. She'll become the first female opera singer to sing the male baritone title role in a professional production. Blythe says she's grateful to San Diego Opera for this opportunity to test her range. Instead of me singing uh, in my typical range, I'm singing an octave lower. So it means that they will hear me in the range of what we generally consider a man's voice. It's different in that there are many roles in opera that are written specifically for a woman playing a man. This is not one of them. This is actually a role written for baritone and being sung for the first time by a woman as a man. Blythe will make her debut in the role on Saturday at the Civic Theater in downtown San Diego. Beth Accomando, KPBS News. Well, Valentine's Day is just around the corner and you may be scrambling to make plans. We have an idea for you, a fine dining experience by you at your home. Mike Miner is the executive chef of the Marine Room in La Jolla and is here to share some easy-to-make restaurant-style entrees, desserts, and more for you to celebrate Valentine's Day at home. Chef Mike, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. Happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day. Before we get into the recipes you have to share, do you have any general advice for those making a meal for Valentine's Day at home or really any meal for a special occasion? I do. You know, I've been married to my wife for uh, almost 27 years now. And I think what's important to me is a little bit of FaceTime. So when you're planning this dinner for your loved one, you really want to make sure that you're not spending the whole entire time in the kitchen and they never see you throughout the night. You know, pick things that are easy that you can prep ahead of time. And that way, you guys can have some really good quality time together while enjoying some fantastic food and some candles and a little bit of flowers and, uh, you know, having a wonderful evening together. Absolutely. Great tips there. So talk to me about the recipe you brought to share with our listeners and why you chose it. Well, you know, I think for me, uh, the first thing I think of uh, on Valentine's Day is, uh, you know, a little bit of steak, which is always fun, a nice filet that you can pan sear and kind of like rest and sit on the side. You know, you can make a quick pan sauce out of all one pan. You cook the steak. 
you add in some butter in the end, you add a little sprig of rosemary and you create your own little sauce. So it's like, you know, a one-stop shop in a, in a saute pan. So uh, why not kind of start there? That sounds amazing. Chef Mike, can you talk about any side dishes that pair well with the pad seared beef tenderloin dinner? I love asparagus, super healthy. I love having a, a green vegetable. So uh, in a very small saute pan, it's as simple as preheating the saute pan, uh, hit it with a little extra virgin olive oil, pop in your asparagus, maybe some shaved garlic, finish with a little uh, fresh squeezed lemon, a little bit of white wine, and let that kind of reduce down a little bit. And that will create its own sauce. Kind of like the pan sauce for the filet. Ooh, that's mouthwatering. Sounds amazing. So I'm told you also have a vegan dinner option? Yes, I am really big into vegan food. At the Marine Room, we cook a ton of vegan food, kind of off the menu. So we do this amazing um, tofu that is really, really fantastic. It's the Sichuan seared tofu that has all kinds of great vegetables in it and something I think you can do fantastic at home. You want to just go and grab some uh, medium firm tofu. I would cut it up into about one inch by one inch squares. And then for all the vegetables, you're just going to get bok choy and red onions and red bell peppers and ginger and garlic go really great together. Uh, You're going to find yourself some Sichuan peppercorns. On the Sichuan peppercorns, you kind of want to grind them up a little bit to make almost like a little bit of a powder. You'll grab some soy sauce, uh, a little fresh lime, maybe some uh, cilantro, a little bit of mint, and you're going to start sauteing those vegetables. You'll deglaze with the soy. Uh, you can even add a little brown sugar to that. And then what we do is make a little cornstarch uh, slurry. So it's just um, a tablespoon of cornstarch, two tablespoons of water. You mix that all together to create like sand. You pour that into your vegetables and your tofu, and uh, it kind of creates its own sauce. Again, kind of the theme is to make everything easy so that you can spend more time with your loved one on Valentine's Day. And I'll tell you, the tofu is going to be a big hit. Uh, I can't wait for you guys all to try it. Mmm, sounds delicious. And of course, let's not forget dessert. I have a sweet tooth, so I'm really excited to learn of the dessert you can make that's easy and you can make at home. I think chocolate-covered strawberries are something fun, a wow. And on Valentine's Day, uh, long-stem chocolate-covered strawberries are the way to anybody's heart. You can get yourself some uh, semi-sweet chocolate chips. Create kind of a uh, steamer, if you will, in a in a small pot. You're going to fill that up with water. Then you're going to get yourself a metal bowl or a glass bowl and sit that right over top of the boiling water. You add your chocolate chips into that. And what happens is you're tempering the chocolate and you're stirring until the chocolate melts. Um, once that's melted, you just simply take that off of the heat. You grab some really giant strawberries. And I mean, when you're shopping, you're going to try to get the prettiest, the biggest strawberries you possibly can, and you're going to dip those strawberries into that chocolate. And then you're going to lay those on a a small sheet pan or a plate, and you really want to either spray that down with some um, like olive oil or get yourself a piece of parchment paper, or in the grocery store they'll call it wax paper. 
and you lay your strawberries right down on that wax paper. You keep them room temperature. You let the chocolate harden up on those. And uh, you can just simply serve it like that. Or if you want to kick it up a little bit and have something fun, you can also get semi-sweet white chocolate and do the same thing. And then just when, when that chocolate is tempered, you just take a spoon and you kind of drizzle it over the chocolate uh, strawberries that you've already made. This is what they call a tuxedo strawberry. So you have a little uh, semi-sweet uh, chocolate with a little white chocolate over the top and makes for a very beautiful strawberry. You can go wrong with chocolate. After uh, talking about these delicious recipes, what drinks can we pair well with these dinners or, or even dessert? Do you have any cocktails or mocktail recipes? Oh, I do. I love, you know, it's uh, when I think of Valentine's Day, I, again, we, I think about roses. Uh, we're doing this really cool rose martini at the Marine Room, which is very, very fun. As you know, martinis are pretty easy to make. You can go buy rose water at the store pretty much anywhere with a little simple syrup, a little rose water, some uh, ice and a little bit of vodka with maybe some rose petals over the top of it. I'll tell you what, that is a great way to start dinner. And then to finish dinner, pop open a wonderful bottle of champagne and have strawberries and champagne to finish an amazing night. Need the bubbly on Valentine's Day. Absolutely. Chef Mike, it was a pleasure speaking with you and learning all these fun recipes from you. Thank you so much for joining us on San Diego News Now podcast. Thank you so much for having me. And happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. That's it for the podcast today. This podcast is produced by KPBS senior producer Brooke Ruth and producer Emmeline Mohabi. KPBSer Laura McCaffrey also helped out on the podcast this week. Thanks, Laura. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Debbie Cruz. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your Friday and have a great weekend.